Hello and welcome to episode 101 of Together BHA. My name is Josh. Uh, we are here uh, the day after the the Hoodoo at Villa finally ended. So we are recording on November 22nd. Uh, it's just me this week. Um, I am putting a call out to anybody who would like to come on the show to review some games with me. Please do. I also put out a tweet. So if you're too, uh, if you're too, you know on the fence and you're not 100% sure and you'd rather me reach out to you, uh, feel free to like that tweet and I will be in touch. Um, we can set up a game for you to come on and chat about it uh, and we can, you know, put it all together. Had a lot of great feedback in the last couple of weeks of, of having all the fans on the show. Uh, you know, those different opinions, different people to bounce off of is really great to have. So by all means, if you have uh, any thoughts, feelings, concerns, you know, anything you want to chat about, uh, about the Albion that week, please do come on. Um, I think it'd be great to have you. And, you know, we've got all the time in the world to discuss it. So please feel free to, to pop in, let me know, um, and, and we can crack on. Uh, honestly, I may just start making a Zoom, putting out the invite, and anybody who rocks in, you know, first in, you can you can record the show with me. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Uh <coughs> International break has come and gone. Um, not a huge amount to report. Uh, Leandro Trossard is, of course, hurt. He's he's done his groin. Uh, whether that was at the end of the Albion's training or at the beginning of Belgium, I'm not 100% sure. Um, and this week, or rather the last two weeks, have been rather potent for COVID uh, contractions. So Mo Salah um, and a fair few others uh, have all started to rock up um, and get this get this uh, illness. Um, Mo is still in Egypt. He he decided to attend a wedding uh, in the middle of Egypt, which, from what I can gather, is a ravaged country uh, in terms of the pandemic. It is it is not doing great. Um, and he decided to go to a crowded wedding anyway. And he uh, he played a stupid game and won a stupid prize and got corona. Um, and many others are following suit. And the thing is is these international breaks are helping nobody. Um, I understand that we need to play certain games to try and rank people and all this sort of stuff, but the idea that you're playing a friendly is just insane to me. Um, <clears throat> to me, you know, it should be it should be restricted to just qualifiers, and you should condense that into a smaller week. So instead of having three international breaks or whatever we've had between now and the season starting, let's have it as two international breaks or just one international break and make it, you know, a, tw a two-week one and have them play their four, their four qualifiers or five qualifiers that they need to in that batch of time and then come back and continue to play games of football because this is just utterly gutting teams um with with this coronavirus stuff and to me you know albion have been very very lucky in that we a don't have a huge amount of international call-ups and b the ones that do are not getting it but i think it's i think it's irresponsible i think it's unsafe and i think that the fa fifa uefa Everybody behind this that's, you know, obviously continuing as if it isn't happening um, need to have a long, hard look at themselves because, well, like, that's the thing, right? Like, I'm pretty sure that by the time the next international break comes up, the vaccine will wonderfully be out 
and being distributed to specific people. And I wouldn't be surprised if footballers already have it at that point in time. You know what I mean? Like post-Christmas. And so like they kind of walk off scot-free. But I think there should be some acknowledgement there that these these organisations are putting these people in danger for no real reason other than, you know, obligation to complete these fixtures when there has to be an easier way of doing it, in my view. And that's something that should be looked at in the future because this probably isn't going to be the last time it ever happens, right? Like, it's happened once now. It's happened plenty of times in the in history. Like, I think that now we need to start building contingency plans for the future um, because I'm sure it's not the last time that a shit show like this will happen and they need to think about their players a bit more than they have done in this, in this pandemic uh, with the international break. Now, outside of the international break, um, we do have some fantasy football to talk about, fantasy Premier League. Um, the Together BHA Podcast League is cracking on nicely. Um, as of right now, we have a top five. Uh, do bear in mind, of course, this is not updated for the end of the week. So we are, you know, this is after the Saturday. So if anybody captain Bruno Fernandes, you've probably gone up the rankings a fair bit. Uh, but for the rest of you, this is this is the current top five as of the 22nd of November um, without this full game week in play. In fifth place is Lalana's in pyjamas, Ryan Marsden on 536 points. In fourth place is the Fantasy Eagles, uh, Ezra Thompson on 537, so just a point ahead. Uh, he's had a very good game week, uh, 48 points so far. In third place, we have the uh, <laughs> a team with by Steve Slagter, uh, and I wish that he would have named his team something more than what he has because it's just like a line, loads of dashes, a zero, loads of dashes, and a line. So congratulations, line dash zero line. You're doing great. It's good stuff. Five hundred and forty points. Uh, in second place is Recession Football. Uh, 565 points, Nathan Lawson uh, cracking on in second place. And in first place in the league so far uh, with, you know, I think there's about 67 of you in here. Uh, in first place is Lalana Banana, which is me on 589 points. I am patting myself on the back thoroughly um, and would like to reiterate that the prize I promised to the winner will go to second place if I somehow keep up this form. However, I am usually gash at fantasy football. So at some point or another, I will do something stupid uh, like a 12-point a, a transfer hit that will push me straight down the table. So don't panic. I will, of course, continue to drop at some point in time. Uh, but as of right now, that is the top five. A um, couple of big boys that have started to really shrink down the... Down the down the rankings, uh, Abtin Mortazavi, uh, he was always up and around the top. He is starting to really struggle down in eleventh place. Uh, you know, keep on cracking, Abtin. You you've got this. And yeah, so keep on cracking on, people. Fantasy league, love it. I promise you will get a prize. Uh, I have a pretty good idea of what that prize is going to be now. Um, but it depends on who wins, right? Like, it needs to be applicable for you and, and who you are. So if it's not something that you want, when I when I get around to giving you the prize, uh, we can talk about it and I'll just get you something else instead. 
Now, onto the game itself. Aston Villa, Brighton and Ove Albion. We have had 12 meetings at Villa, and we have never beat them. 12, 12 games, uh, 3 draws, 9 defeats. Um, this one was our 13th fixture, unlucky for some, including Villa and Jack Grealish. Excuse me, having a drink. And we, uh, we, <laughs> it was a weird game, I think, and I think most people will agree. And the reason I say that is because we played in a way that wasn't the best way. Like, we didn't come out of this game thinking, like, we played really well. If only we just put away our chances, we would have won it. Mainly because we did win it. But we didn't play particularly well. We allowed them a lot of the ball. You know what I mean? Like, we allowed them to to take hold of the ball. They ended with 55% possession yesterday. We allowed them to attack us a little bit more than usual. They ended up with 15 shots yesterday. Um, the main key there, though, was the shots on target, right? We allowed them 15 shots, and much like some of the more defensive teams we've come up against, we can walk away with 21 shots, and we only get 6 on target. Similarly here, Villa had 15 shots against us yesterday, only 4 of those on target. And of those 4, you know, they weren't particularly dangerous barring the goal they scored. Um, it was more of a case of they, they missed an awful lot of very good chances by not even hitting the target. Um, we allowed them to essentially just hold the ball if they wanted to. Uh, they came away, you know, with 12 corners to our three. Um, but the key point here was that it looked like we were setting up to hit them on the counter attack and make up for that kind of sketchy back line that they have, um, especially Matt Target. Um, he is not the greatest defender in the world. Tyrone Mings, despite the fact that Gareth Southgate is obsessed with him, he's not the greatest centre-back in the world. Um, it was clearly a game plan that Potter had set out to do um, with the hopes that, you know, Solly March, Tarek Lamptey, Danny Welbeck, Mopai uh, would be able to push on um, and really go ahead and, and hit them on the counter-attack as often as they could and use those flanks to get out and, you know, do them some pretty serious damage because Potter knew, as much as we know, um, that Jack Grealish and Trezeguet are not players that are as comfortable or as, pref like, preferable, right? They don't prefer to be out wide doing any defensive work. They like to be, you know, free-roaming around that front four and causing problems for everybody, uh, which they did do to great effect for the most part. Um, they just couldn't finish. They had no finishing boots on, so it helped us greatly. Um, but the main thing here, I think, was the dispossession stats. And to me, that says a lot. Um, we actually had uh, three times we were dispossessed. They were dispossessed 13 times. Ollie Watkins was dispossessed four times. Jack Grealish twice. Trezeguet twice. Triore once. Those dispossessions for the most part, created very dangerous counter-attacks for us. And from those counter-attacks was, of course, where we ended up putting the ball in the back of the net twice. Um, and to me, like that's the key point, right? It felt a bit like the Tottenham game last year where we absolutely hammered them. 3-1 um, or 3-0, 3-1, I think, with Connolly bagging a brace. Um, we, you know, allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do 
but when we hit them on the counterattack, we were so deadly, so clinical, um, that we didn't give them a great amount of room to maneuver. And I think that was key for that kind of moment there. Um, because I think Villa were expecting us to come out, dominate the ball, do exactly what we've been doing for the last couple of months. Um, and we didn't. We played in a way that was counterproductive to them. They're not used to holding the ball that way. We basically out villa Villa. Um, and it was pretty funny to watch it because they had no idea what was going on. Um, in terms of flashpoints in the game, uh, I think the big one right early on was Ross Barkley going off after just five minutes. Um, took a free kick in a dangerous area. Uh, amounted to nothing mainly because he pulled his hamstring during the free kick itself uh he was replaced after five minutes for bertrand triore and you know at that point you could almost sense there was a little bit of concern amongst the villa crew um that their you know their solid start in front four had been had been dis you know disorganized displaced and and it wasn't something they were very happy about and however it clearly didn't stop them attacking because for that next 10 minutes or so, you know, up until the goal, they were all over us. Um, and then, of course, that first fla- first flashpoint, the goal, Adam Lallana, uh, you know, we got the throw in in our own half. And Adam Lallana dispossesses the player. I'm not even sure which one it was. It may have been Trezeguet, may have been Grealish, may have been someone else. Um, but Adam Lallana takes the ball off the man. Um, from the throw-in, right? I think Lamptey threw it in. And Adam Lallana has the ball, and he sees Welbeck in acres of space and plays the pass. And to me, this is this is shocking to me um, for any team to be this out of position in the 12th minute of the game at home. When Adam Lallana played that brilliant pass to Danny Welbeck, Danny Welbeck was onside with nobody in front of him. And the reason he was onside is because he was five yards in his own half. Villa had nobody in their own half defending. They were all so pushed forward and out of position that Danny Welbeck was free to run the entire length of their half of the pitch and put it over the keeper without ever really being in any danger of being caught up. Because they were so far out of position and so flat-footed that it was it was a goal and a scenario you expect to see in the 88th minute of a team chasing a goal, not a team that are 12 minutes in and nil-nil, you know, at home. They were woefully out of position and all over the place. And the fact that we went ahead you know, and, and popped it in the back of the net and carried on like that was just unbelievable to me. Uh, we, you know, we hadn't been the greatest team in the world, um, but we did we did what we had to do and we got the goal, um, which was unreal. For the rest of that half, uh, it was absolutely nuts. We were absolutely wiped out um, for the most part. They had eight shots to our two, um, but we kept the ball well when we had it. Um, 55% possession um, and you know we we kind of calmed down a little bit as the game went on and it got a little bit uh, you know just back and forth um, end to end stuff Uh, Villa were attacking they were wasting chances and we were hitting them on the counter attack and causing them problems Uh, there was a couple of moments there in the first half um, 
there was a great pass to Welbeck where he just touched it a bit too heavily, went to the keeper. Uh, there was another great moment for Mopai uh, where he kind of broke through one-on-one and instead of going around the keeper, which I feel like normally Mopai would do, uh, he instead elected to hit it first time, um, which feels a bit to me that Mopai is just making all the wrong decisions at the minute. He's clearly low on confidence um, and he needs a goal, I think, desperately. Uh, and he's clearly good enough to get him, right? So I'm not too worried about it, but he's he's definitely in need of one for sure. Um, in terms of the the second half um, and, you know, the flashpoints there, you know, we made a change at halftime. Adam Lalana was hurt. He's hurt his groin. We don't know how serious that is. Um, Joel Veltman comes on. Ben White moves into the midfield. Um, and we immediately go into a slightly more defensive shell. Uh, I thought that Basuma would move forward a little bit and Ben White would kind of take his role, um, but that didn't happen. Instead, what happened is we went rather flat in the midfield um, and continued to, you know, have them play forward in the same kind of strategy that we've been doing all the way through. Um, And it ended up, you know, not really changing the entire flow of the game it it rather just started off that second half exactly how we'd been cracking on um but as always uh we gave away three i think three maybe four uh free kicks in a dangerous area um let me see if i can see the actual uh thing here where we gave away fouls so one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh my goodness. We actually gave away one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We gave away seven fouls in dangerous areas um, for free kicks. And for those first three or four that we had given away, um, you know, barring the Ross Barkley one because he he hurt himself, so it was like just a crap free kick. Um, barring those, uh, we were in a situation where we... We've, we look to have got better at defending corners, right? Like, we conceded 13 corners or something stupid yesterday, um, and, and we didn't concede from any of them, which is great strides for us. 12 corners, um, which is great stuff for us, right? Because that's pretty rare. We tend to give away an awful lot. Um, not only that, but of the 12 corners, uh, seven of them were accurate, so seven of them found, you know, a decent outlet, and none of them were able to concede or... Uh, convert so we obviously did a good job at defending corners defending that second ball more than anything um and we got that stuff together and got it pushed out uh but for me like we looked so bad defending those set pieces from don't you know those dangerous areas from just outside the box but out wide and they would bend those balls in across the goal and every single time they did it it looked like we were going to concede and you know, we eventually did. We conceded a free kick, a really, really silly one, just like we did at the start of the first half, and Traore whipped the ball in, and Ezri Konsa popped it in the back of the net. No problem. Piss poor, really, from us. We knew it was coming, and it was something that we still haven't been working well enough on because we're allowing teams to continue to cause us problems. Um, thankfully, Albion are known as I've said recently and in previous pods, Albion are known for their ability to reply. Um, and within a, nine minutes, we'd done so. Uh, 
We played some neat passing football on the edge of the box. Comes out to Pascal Gross out wide on the right. He plays the ball across the box. Uh, my first thought was, for God's sake, Gross, that was to nobody. What a piece of shit pass. You had three or four people in the box. Why did you do that? That went through my head in you know the space of half a second. Uh, until the camera panned uh, to it rolling straight to Solly March's feet to bend into the back of the net. Absolute monster strike, supposedly on his weak foot, back of the net, 2-1, instant reply. Well, not instant, but pretty pretty punctual reply, um, and away we go. And it totally deflated Villa. You could see it. You could see it immediately. They were, they were not in a great place at that point. Um, and from then on, uh, we were, you know, I thought we were the, the better team. We were pretty well off. We were doing well. We were creating chances. Um, until their substitutions came on. So they, they sold Traore and Louise for Algarze and Hurrihane. Um And I think from then on, uh, we were we were by far and away on the back foot. And it was basically attack versus defend for the last 15-ish minutes of the game. Um, and, you know, at that point in time, there was a couple of incidences. So incident number one, uh, Tarek Lamptey first yellow card. No complaints from me. Was a yellow card. Should have been bucked. Tarek Lamptey, second yellow card, very harsh. To me, it looked just as much as like a, a dive, um, or rather, not so much a dive, it kind of was a dive, but Grealish puts himself in front of the ball with no intention of having the ball, no intention of winning the ball. He simply puts his body there to obstruct Lamptey. Um, and when they went down and the free kick was given, <coughs> I thought it was for us. I thought that it was like, oh, good, like we've been given a reprieve. Um, you know, it's 91 minutes into the game. We'll be able to bash the ball up top and, and try and hold the ball up a little bit. And then the yeah, red card came out and I was like, what? And it was against Lamptey and he was the person who had put the foul in. And that, to me, was just baffling. Um, I don't understand it. It was it was the stupidest red card I've seen in a while. Um the one saving grace is that it is just a one-match ban, and that ban comes against Liverpool, right? A game, realistically, we're not likely to be in the driver's seat for. Um, you know, it's one of those games that we would consider a free hit, even though it is at home. Um, and, you know, it is what it is. It's just one of those things that you have to deal with. But it did feel at that point in time that everything that could go against us was... And it was getting just like, just a little bit sus. You know what I mean? Like, it was just a little bit suspicious. Like, what is going on here? Like, a stupid red card for a player that is an incredible influential outlet. And then, not only that, but just moments before, Matt Target elbowed Veltman. Clearly on replays. Clearly elbowed him. And that alone could have been a red card offence. And wasn't even reviewed by VAR. And... We then immediately sent off our player to then immediately go ahead and give the penalty. To me, was just like it felt. It felt like it was rigged. It really did. I know that's a stupid thing to say, but it felt like it was fixed. I was like, this is just absolutely ridiculous. Like the referee has got money on a draw here. Like this is just garbage. Like we are being set up to take a fall. Like I do not get it. Um, and. You know, when he went ahead and went to VAR and they checked the monitor and they overturned it, 
it was very nice to have some vindication because to me, it looked like a pretty clear point of he got the ball, barely even touched the man, and then he went down. And do you know the funniest thing is? Is that if Solimar, if Trezeguet had not gone down, had not acted in the way he had, then he would have been able to recover that ball and create a chance. But instead, he decided to go down, not get anything from it in the end, and cost him a point. So, karma. Get bent, Trezeguet. You were crap all game. You couldn't finish your dinner. Now on to players. Uh, let's talk about some, you know, some good player performances and some poorer player performances. Um, Adam Webster was a rather strange one. He, this isn't, this is a case for me that is one of those cases of like the stats don't tell the whole story, right? Adam Webster yesterday had the most touches of the ball. He had the most progressive passing yards, which is something he has been a winner of for some time in the other 14 stats. Uh, He had the most completed passes to the final third. Uh, He had the second most progressive carry yards. He had the second most ball recoveries. Um, He was, you know, out and about doing his thing. But to the eye test, I actually thought Adam Webster was quite poor yesterday. Um, He you know, put us in several situations that were very dangerous with errors that were totally unforced. Um, I can picture a pass that he played to nobody, you know, very loose pass that almost created a chance for them um, in that second half in my brain right now. And it's one of those things where the stats show what they want to show. You know what I mean? Like, you can, you can, you can tell a story with stats sometimes that isn't exactly 100% accurate. Um, And I think that was one of them. Um, I thought Webster was rather poor yesterday and didn't particularly fill me with any kind of, you know, major faith in him as that left-sided centre-half. Neil Mopai as well. Uh, I thought he played very well the other week. Uh, Not so much this week. Clearly his, you know, his his confidence is low. Um, three shots, one on target, no goals. Um, he didn't contribute much in the passing game. Uh, he did win a couple of fouls, which was more than most. Um, but I thought he was very quiet yesterday. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's one of those things that you would like to see a bit better of. Um, because he's not... I don't know. It's another one of those things, right? Like, he, he has bad stats but when you watch him you can see what he's bringing to the team um but he's just not doing a huge amount i feel uh yeah it's tough it's tough with mopai because i love him a lot but i think that was one of his poorer games yesterday um which to me says that counter-attacking football is not something that he's super up on um and you know it's one of those ones we're gonna have to keep a note on in the future now, Bissouma. Now, Bissouma is the other way for me. Uh, he played a much deeper defensive role, um, and I thought he was superb yesterday. He had the most pressures, most successful pressures, 
most ball recoveries, most aerial duels won, with the size of our centre-halves. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, joint most clearances, second most interceptions. Um, he was not as forward-thinking uh, as most games, um, but he was an absolute force uh, in front of that defensive back line. Um, I thought he was superb. He kept uh, Louise totally quiet, totally in his back pocket. When they moved um, the uh, when they moved Grealish into the middle, um, you know he did commit a fair few fouls on him. Uh, I think he committed four fouls in total, which was joint most uh, along with Lamptey. Uh, but on on the whole, I thought he was excellent. Um, I like the role that he's being asked to play. And mostly I just like whatever role they're asking him to play. I think he's doing a great job wherever he's put. Tarek Lamptey, again, put in a great performance. I think that the red card should not mar that performance because I don't think it should have been a red card. Um, he had dribbled uh, the most attempted dribbles, seven, completed four of them. Uh, most interceptions, most progressive carry yards, joint most fouls, one. Uh, he was an absolute beast yesterday. He was both a defensive monster. He kept Grealish so quiet they had to move him. Um, and he was so dangerous on the attack that he really should have had Target sent off if it wasn't for the inept officiating. Target would have been sent off yesterday. Um, and it mostly would have been thanks to Tarek Lamptey. It's kind of ironic that Tarek Lamptey is sent off, um, which is, goes back to my feeling of like it just felt sus yesterday. Um... At one point at the end there, he was basically acting as the counter-attacking outlet. Um, he was, you know, switched further up and central um, and played more of a, you know, almost like a full-on striker role towards the end before he got sent off at some points. Um, he just never stopped running, and I thought he was excellent. Very lucky to have him, as always. Um, and, you know, he can take a rest against Liverpool and come back for the next one uh, because... As I said, uh, it's you know, Liverpool is not the most winnable game in the world. Um, I wouldn't go into it expecting anything too major. Uh, but the game after that is at home to Southampton, and that's a game that I would expect Tarek Lamptey to be influential in. So very happy to have him. Danny Welbeck, again, I thought he was excellent. Uh, before today, uh, or rather yesterday, Danny Welbeck was unbeaten in his eight Premier League starts against Aston Villa. He'd never lost against Aston Villa uh, going into the game. Villa had never lost to us going into this game. Clearly, the power of Danny Welbeck is more influential than the power of the entirety of Aston Villa. So you'll love to see it. He, yesterday, was a beast. Uh, most touches in the opposition box. Second most pressures. Fourth most progressive carry yards. He obviously got the goal. Um, he looks like an incredibly good attacking outlet now. Uh, he looks kind of what we wanted from a Glenn Murray replacement. Um, he has that size. He has that presence. But he's also quick and very good with the ball at his feet. Um, he was superb yesterday. Um, he has no end of running in him. Um, and he's clearly being played in a... Uh, He's been played in a role that suits him so much better than the role he was being played in at Watford. Um, at Watford, he clearly wasn't being given the same love, um, and they weren't using him effectively. Uh, in just two games, you've seen how effective Danny Welbeck can still be in the Premier League. 
Um, and it's all about keeping him fit and making sure he can continue to be effective. Clearly, that kind of forward line that we have put together right now is working. Um, Mopai and Welbeck are getting on very well together. It all seems to be working very well. My thing is keeping Welbeck fit. Because if you don't keep him fit, then we've got a problem. Um, that lack of presence goes away. Uh, and, and we're in big, big trouble. Um, because that's such an influential position right now. Speaking of influential positions... Uh, Mr. Pascal Gross, we spoke about him last week. I'm still very much in the Pascal in camp. Um, he was a monster yesterday. Uh, three chances created, joint most on pitch. Uh, he had three crosses attempted. Uh, he had, you know, an incredible amount of uh, aerial jewels won for, for someone of his height and stature. Four out of five aerial jewels, he won them. Uh, four out of six long passes, he nailed them. And then six out of ten final third passes completed was the most for Brighton. Um, once again, the quarterback, the dictator, uh, the playmaker, the rounduter, or whatever the hell you call it. He was a beast. Again, assist for the goal, of course. Um, found the man that nobody else saw coming, which seems to be a Pascal Gross trait. And he is just superb in this role that Potter has put him in. Um... He is being given a role where he is not required to do a huge amount of moving forward and backwards. His movement is stay in the middle of the middle of the pitch. You know what I mean? Like stay there, dictate the ball, have it come through you. You can be in the middle. You can do whatever you want in the middle, but just be there, be ready to receive the ball um, and, you know, get it moving, get it cycling through you, cause problems to defenders, cause problems to attackers when you get a hold of it. You know, don't make it easy for anybody um, and, and cause issues as much as you can. If you go and look at his, his uh, what am I talking about? Heat map. Um, he was, you know, for the most part, pretty much exactly where I was talking about, central, front and center. Uh, there were a couple of touches on that right-hand side where he whipped in some dangerous balls. Uh, of course, one of them being the assist. And on the whole, was just a monster. That was his 100th appearance for the club now. Um, and to me, he is, he is slowly but surely re-earning his first name on the team sheet stuff. Like, he's on that team sheet every week at this point. Um, if we can continue to have players play around him in the way they are. Now, if we have to drop players from there, you know what I mean? We have to drop Lallana. Um, you know, he's injured, whatever. Uh, I think the Pascal Gross effective meter goes down because the role he's in now is so perfect that if we make too many changes to it, he becomes almost the same Pascal Gross that played for Chris Hutton in his last year and becomes totally ineffective. Um, this is a pretty specific spot he's got right now, and we don't want him to lose it um, because it's dangerous and he's causing problems for everybody. Man of the match, though, for me, Solly March has to be. Um, I know I said last week that, or rather the week before, that Solly March was somebody I genuinely considered an England prospect at left wing back last season before he got hurt. Sonny March has not been hurt yet this season properly. He's had a, maybe a game or two out. Um, but once again, he was just an absolute beast. 62 touches, 6 ball recoveries, 4 out of 4 tackles completed. 
Joint most for Brighton, by the way. Four clearances, eight crosses attempted, which was the most on the entire pitch, uh, including, you know, Trezeguet, Grealish, the works, and scored the match winner. Um, he was just an absolute monster yesterday and continues to cause problems whenever he's, you know, forward, backwards, whatever. Um, he provides us such a more they, such a more dangerous alternative um, at that left wing back role than Dan Byrne does. And I like Dan Byrne, by the way, but he provides such a different and more dangerous alternative that you just have to start. Like he's he he and Lamptey are first names on the team sheet for me. They have to be because them two playing together are such a dangerous mold that you can't just double or treble up on one wing back because both of them are so dangerous going forward and so quick to recover that you've got to have both of them marked down. And yesterday, they didn't. Yesterday, they were strung too thin and they couldn't keep a hold of either of them. And Target should have been sent off and Solimart scored the winner. So, love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, overall... Great result, of course. We're up to uh, nine points now uh, from nine games, which matches the points per game thing that we need. Uh, also important to note that we are now four points better off game for game than we were last season. So Graham Potter is slowly but surely showing genuine improvement this year. Um, you know, last year we lost at Villa, this year we won. So that's an extra three points in the positive common column. Um, and we are continuing to push on. Now, Liverpool at home next, rough, never going to be easy, uh, so we shall keep an eye on that one. Hopefully, we can pull something out of the bag, uh, but without Tarek Lamptey, uh, possibly without Adam Lallana, um, we will be pushing our luck. But if I trust anyone, I trust it. I trust Graham Potter to go out there and trust, uh, you know, cause some issues for them. Uh, he has successfully caused them problems uh, for the most part all the way through. Um, barring that absolute hammering we had at the end of last year. Uh, so yeah, that's it from me. Uh, happy episode 101. I will see you all next week for some Liverpool review. Uh, it is at 7.30am my time, so kill me now. Um, that really sucks. For Americans that are on the podcast, have a happy Thanksgiving week. Um, I will, because I get loads of time off from work compared to usual. I have Thursday off, love to see it. And Friday will be stupid because no one will be working in the job I do. So my week's going to be a nice short one. Um, so have a happy Thanksgiving in the US. Uh, UK peeps, Europe peeps, uh, I hope you all got your PlayStation 5s and Xboxes and all that good shit this week. Hope you're enjoying yourselves. And we will all see each other next week for Together BHA episode 102, post-Liverpool. Be safe.